Have you ever, have you ever uh, uh, invited someone over for dinner and then they didn't show? I don't forget, this has been some years ago, uh, some, some folks from out of town were, were coming and, and they had contacted us and they were gonna have dinner with us. And so Wanda made her specialty. She's known around the world for her lasagna and her homemade apple pie made from scratch. I mean, she made, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, she makes her pie crusts float in the air if you don't hold them down. It's just amazing. And, and uh, she, uh, so we had, we had made lasagna dinner and had dessert and had all that ready and it was all ready and time came and they weren't there yet. And so we waited longer and they weren't there yet. And then an hour went by and they weren't there yet. Two hours went by and they weren't there yet. And uh, we said, we're not gonna let this lasagna dinner ruin, so we ate dinner, and they never did show. I don't know if they just forgot or what happened, but we were really disappointed, and, and we were sad that we'd put so much work in, because how many, how, ladies, how many of you know when you've got someone coming over, the house has to be, right? Come on, yeah, yeah. And uh, we had done that, and it was all ready, and they didn't come. And it was really disappointing. Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today. It's, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's found in the Gospel of Mark. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of John makes reference to it, though it doesn't give the details that the other three Gospels give, of a time when Jesus was going to have a special meal with his disciples. Let's look at it together in the Gospel of Luke we're going to read a few verses in chapter 22, beginning at verse 14. If you'd like to join me, I invite you to read with me. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take, this is my Excuse me, let me start again. I started a quote from Matthew. I have Matthew memorized. I apologize. Let's start it again at the beginning at verse 17 there. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. It's the first day of unleavened bread. 
Passover. It's a really, really special day in the Hebrew culture. And at that time in Jerusalem, from all over the world, Hebrew families, Jewish families would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pesach, the Passover that God had instituted way back in 1440 BC when the children of Israel were delivered from slavery. And so at that time, as, as they're coming together, Jesus and his disciples have come to the city of Jerusalem. They're on the Mount of Olives. They have been with, his, with their friend Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters. And from Bethany, they have come over the top of the Mount of Olives, and now they're descending down into the city of Jerusalem. And as they're going into the city, the disciples, knowing it's the first day of Passover, that special, special day, because on that day, that is when the father was to go and select a lamb without blemish, butcher that lamb, to celebrate. That is the day when the mothers all over the land of Israel, all over the world, they deep clean their house to make sure that there is not one shred of leaven left in the house. In fact, some moms would even take their everyday dishes and take them out of the house, store them somewhere, and bring in dishes that was only used for Passover because those dishes had never had leaven on them. I mean, it was a thorough, deep cleaning of the house to make sure there was no leaven. And so while dad is off, he's, he's gone to the synagogue and he's worshiped, and together with the other men in the community, they've, they've, they've celebrated and they've studied the word together, they've prayed together, he has selected the lamb, he's butchered the lamb. While he's doing all of that, mama's doing this deep cleaning. This is the first day. And so knowing that, as they're making the journey over the Mount of Olives, the disciples turn to Jesus and they say, Jesus, where, where do you want us to make ready for Passover? Because they know, they know what's going on. They know, Jesus, where do you want us to make ready for Passover? And as Jesus looks at them, he says, here's where you're going to go. Peter and John, I want you to go into the city. When you get into the city, then I want you to watch for a man. There's going to be a man carrying a pitcher of water, a vessel of water. Now, first of all, that's really unusual. Okay, you and I might, might think, well, he just went to the store and, you know, we get water and guys do that. But no, no, in that culture, women went to the well and got the water. That was not a, that was not a man's job. That was a woman's job. So it's unusual. So this is going to be an easy person to find because they're just not common for guys to be carrying, to have gone to the well and get a vessel of water and be walking back. He says, you see him, follow him. And follow him all the way to his house. When he gets there, then say to him, 
Where is the guest room? Our master wants to come and celebrate Passover in your guest room. Okay? Now, that's really different from our culture. Our culture, excuse me. Pastor Aaron talked about that last week in his message. And, and all week long, I've thought about that, what it would be like. You know, if you had been, if you had been the Safeway and someone pulls out right behind you and you're going down and you don't think much about it, but then when you get to the corner that turns down to your neighborhood, they're still there. You're kind of going, hmm, same car following me. That's interesting. You get to your street and you turn into your street. They're still there. You get to your house. You pull into your driveway. They pull right in behind you. Are you getting nervous yet? Yes. <clears throat> But then you get out and you go start going into the house and they get out and they walk right up behind you. And as you're getting ready to open the door, they go, excuse me, sir, uh, where is your family room? I want to come spend the night in your family room. Mm -hmm. That's a little different in our culture, isn't it? But see, what Jesus knew, this was Hebrew culture. It was common for them to build an upper room on the, on the top roof of their house to build an upper room, a guest room. Remember, as Pastor Aaron studied last week, the Shunammite woman did that. We have more than one place in Scripture that talks about them having that upper room, that guest room. And that was what he was talking about. Now, this person must have had a very large guest room because there's going to be at least 12 there celebrating. Wow. But you see, there's some biblical principles in this whole story that you and I need to look at for us right now today. Look at it with me carefully, some biblical principles. Okay, first of all, the disciples got everything ready for this event. Jesus said, follow him, ask him where the guest room is, and then he said, and you make ready. You make ready. And the disciples went, and they got everything ready, and they prepared everything for Jesus to come and celebrate Passover with them. But now, listen, Passover was, was a time that, that focused on fellowship because extended family would come in and, and guests would come in, sometimes from out of town would come in. It was a time when it was a gathering for fellowship. Everything about Passover was about fellowship together and sharing together. And, and the more romantic and the more eloquent the father of the home felt the longer that that time would be around the table. And they would spend sometimes hours around the table. Now, they didn't sit at the table like you and I sit at the table. You know, you pull up the chair and you sit down. No, no. They had really low tables and they would all sit uh, and on their left side, leaning on their left forearm and elbow. And, and they leaned around the table and they fellowshiped around the table. It was a time of great celebration and great fellowship. You see, Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. 
And he has prepared everything and made it possible for you to come have fellowship with him. He wants fellowship with you. Being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is all about relationship. It's not about religion. And even in too many Pentecostal circles, it's become about religion. We go to church, we sing some songs, we share some scripture, we go home. And we rarely read the Bible, we rarely really spend time praying, we, we, we rarely really fellowship with Jesus through the week. It's just happening on Sunday morning because we're religious. But listen, dear ones, a disciple of Jesus Christ walks in relationship with Jesus because it's all about relationship. Amen. January 1968, Uncle Sam gave me a free trip to Montana. It wasn't really free. They had my life 24-7. While I was there, I met this little Italian gal. She lived at 2209 First Avenue North. When I met her, and, and I, had, I had made a vow with the Lord I wouldn't date until I met the woman we were to marry, and uh, too long a story to go into, but when I saw her, God said, that's the woman, and so I started, I, I, I started to go on a date with me, and because I had so much money being in the military, <laughs> we went out for a Coke, a Coke with two straws. And there was a hamburger stand there that made hamburgers for 10 cents. Now, the meat was so thin you could read a newspaper through it, but at least it was a hamburger, you know? <laughs> but, but we started dating. And I was there. I couldn't wait every day to get off work and drive to 2209 First Avenue North to spend time with her. I remember one night, her, her dad worked a swing shift. He, he got home about 1, 1.30 in the morning. Or one night, he came in and he goes, don't you think it's time you went back to the base? Uh, yes, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to be with her all the time. I loved her. I look forward to spending my life with her. June 27th, 1970, we made it a permanent deal. But I wanted that with her. Before we ever got married, we were friends. We were really good friends. And we're still best friends today. But that's how relationship works. Jesus wants relationship with you. Amen. And, and he, has, he has done everything necessary to make that possible. He wants relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to be religious. He wants relationship with you. And again, listen closely. He has done everything necessary for you to be able to have that relationship. He has prepared the place for you. And he's inviting you to come fellowship with him. He's inviting you to come fellowship with him. Don't keep him waiting. Don't keep him waiting. Fellowship with Jesus. 
He wants fellowship with you. Here, here's the next thing. Not only has he prepared it for you, a place for you to come fellowship with him, but you need to understand the invitation stands deeply, permanently, and longingly. Jesus wants you to come be with him. You, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's by God's grace that you get there. Would you say that with me? I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. God's grace has made it possible. Mm. It's the only way it works. It's by God's grace. Here's, here's the next principle. Next principle is Jesus looked at his disciples when they gathered together there at the table. Listen to what he said. He said, I have greatly desired to be here. I have greatly desired. His heart was longing for that time of fellowship with his disciples. And I want you to understand his heart longs for his fellowship with you. His heart is longing for that fellowship with you. What is so sad is for so many Christians, they, they don't have the same longing and the same desire. They go to church when it's convenient. They go to church if, if they don't have something else to do. They go to church if it's not a great day to go boating or, or to, to do something else. If their favorite game isn't on, they 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 they. they, they once in a while, they'll think of it, and they'll get up, they'll read the Bible, they'll maybe have a quick prayer with Jesus over their cup of coffee, but they don't have this longing, and God says to you and to me, Jesus is saying, I greatly long and desire to spend this time with you. Amen. I want that with you. I want that with you. And he hopes that you will have that same love and longing for him. Hero Israel, the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Do you? Do you love Jesus with that much love? With all your heart, all your soul, with everything within you. Do you love him? Do you love him? When you love him that much, you can't wait to go spend time with him. Because reading the Bible now is not a chore. It's his love letter to you, and you can't wait to read it. And, 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 not only that, but you learn more about him. See, the, the more you learn, uh, isn't it true, the more you learn about your friends, the, the, the more you want to you, you hang out with them? You know, you go, you go hey, we got, we got this in common. Hey, you know, we got, oh, you know what, I just, when I'm with them, they don't drain me, they encourage me. You know, I, I, I just, I love hanging with them. I love hearing their stories. I've got, a, I've got three guys that, I call it our old codger's coffee time because all of us are 70 years young and older. And we get together, and, I, I, and two of them are some of the wisest men I've ever known. And I love to just get with them and hear their stories. I 
just, I just love it. It's great. But see, God wants you to have that same love to be with him. God, I can't wait to come be with you and let you talk to me. Not just me talking to you, but you talk to me. And hanging with you and spending time with you and feeling your love for me, feeling your affirmation for me, feeling your encouragement in my heart, feeling your love for me and experiencing your love for me that gives me assurance, that gives to me assurance. Amen? Amen. Hey, the world beats us up enough. Amen? Amen? The world will beat you to death. But man, when you can get that time with Jesus and his love comes bringing his encouragement, his affirmation, his assurance, his security in your life. Wow. Amen. Amen. With great desire, I have desired to have this meal with you. There's another thing about it, though. I'm running out of time. I'm going to skip a point, projection person, okay, with (laughs) this relationship is built on a covenant. As they're spending time together, Jesus takes the third cup. Now, the entire Pesach Seder centers around four cups. The third cup is the cup of redemption. It's the one that they partake of after they've eaten the full meal. There's two cups before dinner. There's two cups after dinner. And after dinner, Jesus took that third cup, the cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Before that, He had broken the bread. And he had said, this is my body which is broken for you. And the whole thing was centering around covenant. See, covenant relationship. This is why it's not religion. It's relationship. Because it's covenant. We're in covenant with Almighty God. And that covenant can't be broken. When they cut covenant... And the blood is shed, and they make their vows, and, and, and the covenant is cut. That covenant is for a lifetime, and the only way that covenant ends is through the death of one of the people. Now, Jesus died in your behalf to make this covenant for you because his blood had to be spilt to seal the covenant. But the great thing is, is he didn't stay dead. He walked out of that grave as we celebrate next week. And because he walked out of that grave, that makes the covenant now eternal because Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever and ever. And therefore, the covenant is forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's that covenant that seals you in that fellowship. Now, immediately, someone's mind's going, but can't you backslide? (laughs) I'm not going to get into that theological conundrum today, but I'm going to say this to you. You can walk away from that covenant if you choose to, but it's really stupid when you do. Come on, amen? 
God doesn't walk away from it. God doesn't walk away from his covenant. And listen, listen to what he says to you and I. This is the basis upon which we have this relationship. This is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their heart. On their mind will I write them. Listen, and their sin and iniquity I will remember no more. Now watch this. So you've got Jesus who is alive forevermore, who is the author and finisher of this covenant. And then he says, as long as I live, all of the sin and iniquity that you have ever done will never be held against you again because I live. That's the covenant I make with you. Man, how secure is that, huh? Give God praise. He wants this fellowship. And it's based on a covenant that he sealed. You did nothing to make this covenant happen. He did it all. And he seals that covenant with you. I want to just show you some things that you can do practically that makes this happen every day. Read them with me, would you please? The first one. Have set place that is ready every day. Make a place in your home where you meet with Jesus every day. And, and make it your place of trysting, where you go and you share your love with him and he shares his love with you. And have it set and ready every day. For years, it was a Green wingback chair that we that we have in our in our formal living room. That was my place. And then, when my father-in-law loved that man, he was so precious. When he died, I inherited his chair, and that became my trysting place, and it still is to this day. I meet Jesus there every day. The Heavenly Father comes and shares His love with me. Have a set place. Here's the next one. Soft worship music in the background. I have, I have, I, I kind of got a wide genre of music. I, I have some elevation music that I like to listen to, and then I, I have some Michael W. Smith that I like to listen to, and for all of us old conjurers, I have some Gaither music that I like to listen to. Okay, and so I've kind of got a variety that I listen to in, in, uh, in, my, in, in my worship in the morning, and I start off worshiping with it, and then as I move into reading the word and stuff, it's softly playing in the background, setting that atmosphere. Come on, amen? amen. It gets kind of fun. You know when Elevation is starting to sing rattle? That gets really fun. Okay. Here's the time in the word of God. Give time. Read the word of God. And, and I take, and uh, I, I, I don't use electronic Bible. I, I still like to study with the real thing. And... For those of you that are like I am, you're, you're, you're a little bit older than some others in the room. I've got, I've got the printed page, and it's, and it's, old, it's old King James, okay? Because I, 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 that's what I started studying when I first got saved, and I just, I just kind of stayed with it. But I hold it, and I say, Lord, this is your word. Talk to me today. Speak to me, because it's the living word of God. The word of God is living and powerful and sharp and two-edged sword. It's living. Let it speak to you. 
Amen? Amen. Let it talk to you. Here's the, have conversation with Jesus. That is prayer. Don't just you talk to him. Let him talk to you. Have moments where you pause and you wait and you listen and learn to hear that little inner voice. Now, that little inner voice should never contradict the written word. Come on, amen? amen. God has revealed himself in his written word, and they're not going to contradict one another. But you, you need to hear, you need to learn to hear God's voice in your heart of hearts. Amen? amen. Hear it. Hear the word. And then the last one, maintain a journal. Keep a journal, especially of things God spoke to you. On my hard drive, I've got a journal, and, I, and I, I keep my laptop right there so that when God's talking to me, I take it up, and I, and I date it, and I, and I put down what God spoke to me that day. And at the end of each year, before I start the new year, one of the things I do on New Year's Eve is I go back through, and I look through all the things that God spoke to me that year. And sometimes I'll go back, and I'll catch a couple or three years of what God spoke to me, and it's amazing. It's so encouraging and building up. Amen. Amen. God is waiting for you. Would you stand with me, please?